Yes, Lord, we thank you. We acknowledge that, Lord God. You are the creator God. You are, Lord, and you're continuing to create new things, Lord God. You're, you're continuing to speak and bring life out of death, uh, make smooth paths, heal the brokenness. And we invite you to continue that today. Risen and exalted, Lord Jesus, we ask you to breathe your spirit on us, to do your good new work in us this morning. We give you this time. We turn our attention to you to receive what you have for us. Amen. All right. Go ahead and take a seat. Good to see you on this awesome, beautiful day in the park. Wow. Feels like uh, things are new, right? Spring is sprung, and uh, there's hope in the air. Things are starting to open up. Uh, it's, it's exciting. And so the, the mixer question today is what's new? What's new with you? Maybe something new that you got or something new that you did. And uh, I haven't done this yet, but something new coming up is this pickup soccer game that I'm very maybe too excited about. Uh, haven't been able to play for a long time. So we're going to try some no contact, uh, pretty socially distanced soccer. I don't know about that last part. We're going to do our best. We're going to have fun. So I'm excited about that. That's big, maybe just for me, but that's big. But there is something bigger going on, something new, something more substantial that is going on that is new. It's God's work in the world that began with his death for us to take care of the old, to remove the separation, to bring his life again. It began with his resurrection that we looked at last week, Easter Sunday, new life. God brought and started his new creation. Started 2,000 years ago, it's still continuing. And many of us here are part of that. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are new, you're part of this new humanity, you're part of the new work that's going to continue on forever. And if you're not yet part of that, you are invited into that. That's the offer that's the new that we're going to look at for the next several weeks starting today, this new creation that's going on in the world. Now, like a day like this, um, you may look around and say, like, well, why do we need a new creation? This is pretty good. The grass is green. There are puppies running around earlier today. I saw little Eve over here. Uh, you know, like, life is good. Why do we need a new creation? Well, it doesn't take too long. You go into your week, maybe Monday morning, and you remember why. Oh, things are not all new. There are some broken things that need to be set right. So let's review that answer. Uh, why do we need this new creation? By reviewing what God has revealed to us. Through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to do an overview, a summary. We're going to cover a lot of ground uh, in a few minutes here. If you don't have a bulletin in your hand, it's going to really help you to have that. There's a diagram there. If you're online, you'll see the diagram. But this is a snapshot of what God has revealed about what was and what is and what is to come. God wants you to know he's revealed this mystery to us through Scripture. So we're going to look at that. We're going to skim through that this morning to see where we are in the story, to, to focus in on this new creation that he has brought. It started in, number one, uh, creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. And it was 
good. It was very good. God looked at what he created. When he created, it was good. There was life and blessing. It was multiplying. Uh, he made humanity in his image and likeness to be in close relationship with us, with him. He set us up in Eden, this garden. It was beautiful. It had everything we needed ever. God set us up well. It was good. It was very good. But if you look around today, not everything is good, right? Number two, that takes us to Genesis 3, not long after that. We have the fall. Like instead of staying in a trusting, thanking, honoring God relationship, instead of listening to his words and trusting him and obeying him, we turned away from that. We grasped for more. We rejected his goodness, his truth, his counsel. And this turning away from God brought a curse. The curse of shame and death and pain and toil into his very good world. You look at Genesis 3 through 11, you just see humanity go in this downward spiral. It gets so bad, Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of humanity had become on the earth. That every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's pretty bad. The Lord regretted that he had made us. So Genesis 6 through 9 uh, through 10, God cleanses the earth. He brings this flood. Start over. Maybe that'll fix it. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to fix the problem. You know, Genesis 11, we pick it up there, and we see this Tower of Babel. Humanity is back at it again, using our God-given abilities talents, gifts to build life apart from God without him, without his authority, without his right to rule over creation and to bring his blessings. And it didn't work out well. There's a bentness in humanity. This is, this is what God reveals throughout scripture. And you don't even have to look at scripture. Just look at human history. There's a bentness in humanity. None of us are untouched by it. A bentness that turns us away from God. We know the right thing to do, and we don't do it. We know the good thing, we do the selfish thing. It's in you, it's in me. And it brings pain and death and sorrow and shame and harm into God's good creation. And he doesn't like it. He's, he's about finding a way to get us out of it. It ruins marriages, friendships, families, communities, nations. It's a persistent problem and again all of us have it we're born with it that's the problem but thankfully God is good God is good God is faithful when we're faithless Genesis 2, huge huge promises restoration promises this is number three God's restoration promises God kicks off his plan of remaking everything, remaking humanity, making us new, bringing his new creation through one person. God works limited humanity to make us new, to bring us into a trusting, obedient relationship with him, freely chosen, so that his blessings can flow again in our lives. God wants to bless you and multiply us. He wants us to experience his favor and goodness. And it comes as we align ourselves with him. 
Now, God works out his plan. He's doing this now, but it began way back through Abraham and through the one ancestral line that came from Abraham, who became the people Israel. God called Israel, this one people, into a special covenant relationship with clear commands and clear promises. He set them up well. He led them into the promised land, took them out of slavery, led them into the promised land, gave them his presence, gave them his clear instruction so that there was no doubt, hey, if you obey these commands, you will be blessed. My blessings will flow into your life. But if you don't, you're going to experience the same curses that the rest of humanity experiences. If you go your own way, you'll suffer the curse again. And when Israel obeyed, there's, there's moments, there's pockets in their history where they obey and they flourish. They expand, they grow, they, they do great. But it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. The same tendency that is in all of humanity, the tendency to turn away, to grasp for more, to throw God off, rule our own lives, was in Israel also. And God, true to his word, word got to, to a point, got so bad that he cast them out of the promised land, just like he had cast Adam and Eve out of Eden, into exile, out of the promised land. This repeated story, we are faithless, God is faithful. We seem to be persistent in our sin and our tendency to go away from him, but he is persistent in his love, his goodness. Through the prophets, even when his people were in exile, were turning away from him, God spoke these loving promises. He revealed to them what was to come. He spoke of a special human who would come, a set-apart one, a ruler from ancient days, his own unique son, who would come and show the light. He would be the light of the world. He would also suffer for our sins, and he would rise again, one who would gather then all people, not just Israel back to himself, but all people, all nations, all lines into his kingdom to bring cleansing, to bring something new, something new, something that humanity has lacked, something that we've needed. We have this power of sin in us, again, that persistent bent to go away from him. We need a power in us greater than that that will help us to trust and obey and do the hard thing. We've needed that, that new thing. What am I talking about? The Holy Spirit. God's personal, powerful, enabling presence to help us do the thing that we want to do that's good. To do it even when it's hard. This is the game changer that God promised to bring through this set-apart one, this special one. All right. You're still in section three now. But after hundreds of years of waiting, when the time was right, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, came in the flesh, in Jesus of Nazareth. That's number four, Jesus' first coming. He came. He came. And he brought his kingdom, the power, the love, the healing, the forgiveness, the grace 
he gathered people to himself. He came and he died like he said he would to pay the punishment that you and I had earned for our sins to take that debt out of the way so that we could be reconciled to God. He died, but he was raised from the dead. Death could not, take, could not keep its hold on him. He was raised in a new imperishable resurrection body. When he came out of the tomb, a new piece of creation came out of that tomb. That's Easter, the beginning of God's new creation. That's where we were last Sunday. We're going to pick it up right there. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 2. During his resurrection appearances, which lasted about 40 days, starting on Easter, he appeared to many disciples, hundreds, over a period of 40 days, giving many convincing proofs that he is alive. And it was widespread. And then on the 50th day after Passover, the Last Supper, um, when he died, we read this, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, about 120 of them, were all together in one place in Jerusalem. Okay, Pentecost, that may not mean much to you, but that was a big deal. Passover and was a big feast. All the people from, if you could, if you were Jewish, you lived in Israel or you lived beyond its borders, you would come to Jerusalem for this special feast, this special celebration of Passover, celebrating what God had done for Israel through in Egypt. Pentecost was the second big festival on the calendar. There were three. And this one, also called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks, uh, seven weeks after Passover, or the Feast of the Harvest, and that's the key idea for us. Feast of the Harvest. Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection happened not around this feast, but around Passover. Now, let's look at Passover first. Remember, Passover, God rescuing Israel out of slavery to Egypt. Now, if you were Israel in Egypt, you were enslaved, what did God tell you to do? He told you to take a lamb and take its blood and put it on the door frame of your house to mark it with the blood of the lamb. So when this punishment came on Egypt to release his people, it would pass over your household. The blood of the lamb would spare you, would save you from God's wrath, his judgment, his punishment for Egypt's sin. That's passive. You see why Jesus initiated his last supper. Take this bread, it's my body broken for you. Take this cup, it's my blood shed. You will be passed over from God's judgment. You've been reconciled to God. So that was Passover. Now focused on Jesus. But now Pentecost, and originally Pentecost again, a celebration of the harvest. So what does this have to do with this new creation that God brought through Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, here at the Pentecost we're talking about, Acts 2.1, 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, the harvest that was beginning was what? Yeah, people, people. God gathering in his people into himself, to himself, into his kingdom. The harvest that began started in Jerusalem. 
God bringing his people together. And we're going to see how this happened. It was dramatic. It was, it was impressive. But Pentecost is this pivot point where Jesus' disciples, which numbered in the hundreds, moves from 100 to 3,000 in a day and then continues on over all these millennia, two millennia, to include people like you and me today. That's the beginning of number five, the church age, the great harvest of God being gathered into his kingdom. That's where we are today. We're still in stage five, the church age, God gathering people in. And it's going to continue until number six, until Jesus' future second return, his return, and the completion of God's new creation. That's still future. That new creation continues forever. But the key point is that new creation has begun. It began with Jesus' death and resurrection. It began in your life when you said yes to him. All right, that's the whole context of the scripture. You got the whole story now. Congratulations. You should still read it. There's some more details in there. All right. Back to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost came, now you have the context for that. They, about 120 disciples, were all together in one place. Then something new happens. Suddenly a sound that they could hear, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, they heard, they saw now what seemed to be tongues, I mean, I guess that's the best description, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of these disciples. So you get this flame thing appearing, all right? Context of scripture, God's presence is often displayed in fire. Fire of the burning bush, um, the fire that came down, the prophets, uh, the ball of um, Elijah. So this is happening. Wind. The spirit of God, spirit, pneuma, means wind also. Wind, spirit, or breath. There's a lot going on here. All of them were filled, filled inside with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's personal, powerful, life-giving presence inside them, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is new. And began to speak in other tongues. Tongues, same word for languages. They're speaking other languages as the Spirit enabled them. These are not languages that they knew, but God's sign of his presence is enabling them to speak other languages. It's strange. I mean, and it's new. And it's happening to Jesus' disciples, to those who have heard Jesus' message and put their trust in what he has done for them. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, right? It's the big festival. They, they came in from all the nations that they were scattered. They came in for this big festival. All right, in Jerusalem back then and now is this densely packed city. It's not spread out. It's, it's close in. So when they heard, when the, these other Jews in the city heard this sound, the sound of the wind, and this racket of them speaking, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Okay, so this activity of God's spirit is drawing people together. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So if you're from Galilee, the north of Israel, uh, you had 
kind of slightly different style of dress and so forth. And so they could, they're like, wait a minute, how is this possible? Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Listen to all these different languages, these, these places that the Jews had come in from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. So the Holy Spirit is enabling these Jesus disciples to praise God, to honor God in languages that they don't know. It's a sign. It's a sign that something new has come, that God's new creation has come, and that he's gathering people from all nations to himself to join in worship of the one true God. It's all compressed right there in that moment. And that's what's going on in the world today. God calling people into his kingdom. People from all over the world to praise him in their own languages. To honor him. To become rightly related to God. To submit to his lordship, his good rule and reign. So that God's blessings can flow once again through humanity. This is what he's doing in the world. Amazed and perplexed, the audience, the crowd there was. They asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What's going on? Then Peter, you know, fickle Peter, intense, passionate, jumping in the water, uh, but also betraying Jesus three times. This Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, he steps up to the plate. Listen to what he says. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This, he says, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, he starts quoting Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is just how God said it would happen. God promises beforehand in those restoration promises number three. In the last days, God says, I'll pour my spirit on all people, not just one person here and there for a special task, on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They will speak words of God. Their young, your young men will see visions. God will give revelations. God is doing something new. Peter, Jewish, points to his Jewish audience, points them back to Jewish scriptures and said, this is what God had promised. And now the last days have begun. The last days began at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit. This is the new creation that God had promised throughout the prophets. We don't have, to, I wish we could dig into a lot of them. There's, there's amazing prophecies about this. Peter then points, not to Jewish scriptures, now he points to Jesus, the fulfiller of those prophecies. He gives them the good news message about Jesus. That's the focal point. That's where he draws their attention next. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. They, they were to accredit God to you so that you would listen to Jesus, which God did among you through him. Now listen to this. As you yourselves know, so he's speaking to Jews 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. A lot of them had heard and seen the things that Jesus did. 
Verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, really singling out the Jewish leadership there, the religious leadership, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You rejected God. Sin, nature, the old thing got the better of you. Okay, so... Jesus, this one who had come, was put to death on a cross. So why would Peter be preaching about him? Because verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. That's why he's preaching about him. That's why these guys go out and preach about Jesus. Where's Jesus now? Where'd he go? Verse 33, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus has breathed the life of God, the power of God, the presence of God into his followers. Let's see how the people responded to this message, this proclamation of the gospel. I just gave you the short... Peter just gave this short version of the gospel. You can read the long version of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There's some conviction there. They've been touched. Peter replied, Here's what you do repent, repent, turn, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. He's the one that, that won that cleansing for you. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You too will receive this enabling power from God. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children. So generations later. And for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Including you and me brothers and sisters today. God, through spirit-filled follower of Jesus, is calling people into his kingdom. This is how it works now in God's new creation, in this age of the Holy Spirit. God is proclaiming his message through his spirit-filled followers, through his spirit-filled church, to the world. And those who are called, listen, and they receive it, and they come in, and they likewise are cleansed and filled by the Spirit. If you don't have that and you want that, what do you do? If you want to be new, if you want to be part of God's new creation, what do you do? Well, he said it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for forgiveness of sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two things you do. Two things here. Number one is your first fill in. Repent. Repent. Which means turn to God. Turn to God who has revealed himself in Jesus to live in him and with him instead of in your sin and with your sin, in death, in the old. No more of that. Now we turn to God who's revealed himself in Christ. We repent. That's the first thing we're told to do. We begin to follow Jesus as Lord of our life. We begin to submit to his rule and his authority and receive his blessing, his favor. Do that, number one, repent. If you haven't, you're stuck on that, talk to us. Talk to me after service. Talk to us this week. 
Repent. And number two, be baptized. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Receive the cleansing of sins, the forgiveness of sins that Jesus won for you on the cross, that he paid a high price for you to receive. You need it. It's available to you. Your sins have separated you from God. How are you going to cleanse yourself of those? You can't. But Jesus has provided the cleansing for you. Hopefully you got to see Micah Marisa's baptism last Sunday. Ah, it's great. Baptisms are my favorite. Let's do one every week. That's the two things you do. All right? Now, two things you receive. Two things you receive. Number one, you heard it, you heard it, you heard it. But it's good to remember, forgiveness, God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is what moves you from separated from God to reconciled to God. From uh, being a rebel, uh, opposed to God, to being put in right standing with God. That's what forgiveness does. It's a gift to be received. The other thing you receive is the Holy Spirit. That's the big, the new that we've been talking about. The breath of God. Listen, if you, this is a reminder, if you have received his forgiveness, God's spirit is in you, and you are a new creation. We forget. I forget. I am a new creation. You are a new creation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, present tense. You are God's new creation. You're part of his new humanity. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and now, brothers and sisters, has given us a ministry of reconciliation. See, God was reconciling the world, the world to himself in sins against them, not counting your sins against you. And if you have not repented or been baptized in the name of Jesus yet, here it is, back then and today, we implore you, we implore you, we urge you, we strongly encourage you, be reconciled to God. We implore you in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ by his spirit, today is calling you, inviting you to be reconciled to God, to come close, to be rescued, to be forgiven, to be reconciled to the life of God, receive his loving presence that will lead you into life, that will guide you into truth, that will help you when you're struggling. That's the offer. That's who you're invited to be. And if you're there, if you're there, if you're part of God's new creation, let's remember it. Remember it. We no longer live according to the pattern of the old humanity, separated from God, um, distant from him. Now we live according to the new pattern. We live as new. The pattern of Christ, the pattern of the new heaven and earth to come. It begins with you and me. We live according to the Spirit inside. We walk in the Spirit. We follow the Spirit's guidance. We don't 
push his voice away. We don't ignore his nudgings. No, we listen and we submit ourselves and we obey. That's the new creation. The new creation, quick to respond. That's the new. And we're going to be looking at that the next several weeks. How do we live in this new? How do we um, experience the newness that is offered? But now we're going to, instead of finishing up what we had in the bulletin previously, we're going to, we're going to stand together. We're going to pray together. So join me. Stand up. If you're home, I invite you to stand up also. We're going to pray together. And I was talking to a friend this week and it just kind of reminded me of this this prayer pattern, this is something you can do every day. This helps me to get in tune with the Spirit and not get distracted with the old that's just flurrying around me. We're going to go three-part prayer together, thanking, confessing, and asking. Keep it simple. Thanking, confessing, asking. So I invite you to... This helps me, just putting my hands out. It's a posture of humility before God. It shows me, reminds me physically that I am dependent on God for life. So now, as the Spirit leads you, join me in thanking and praising God as the Spirit leads you. Do it out loud. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Join me. We thank you, God, for your goodness. The wind reminds me of your breath of life. We thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your thanking, this honoring God, this praising him. That is us rightly related to God. That is living in the new creation. Do that daily. Do it more than once a day. Thank him. We thank you, God. Okay, now the next thing is to confess. Confess to acknowledge where we're still living in the old, where we got caught up in the old. As the Holy Spirit brings to mind things, I invite you to confess, ask forgiveness. He's paid for them, but you need to ask for forgiveness to get them out of your way, to take them off. So let's do that together now. I'm going to turn off my mic. You know, you can maybe want to do this under your voice. I don't know, in your mind, wherever, however you want to do it. All right. Yes, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, Lord God. Thank you for taking those sins out of the way. We leave them. We turn away from them. We take them off. And, Lord, we put on the new. We put on the new, Lord Jesus, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and purity and and love. Yes, Lord. We thanked him. We've confessed. We've gotten the, the garbage out of the way now. We can ask him. Ask him for whatever he puts on your spirit. It may be for you, maybe for a loved one, maybe for someone far away. Let's ask now of God. Thank you, Jesus. We can come to you. We ask you for your goodness, Lord God. We ask you for. Thank you, Lord, for making us new. We couldn't do it. You did it. We thank you for making the way, Jesus, for us to be made new. We ask that you would uh, help us. This week, as we leave out, leave from here, as we go into whatever we're going into, Lord Jesus, help us remember that we are new. Lord, and, and help us to lean into the new, help us take off the old, help us not get ensnared and entrapped by the old anymore, Lord Jim, your people, your household, your sons and daughters, Lord God. 
We love you. We thank you for this time together. And we are going to sing together now and honor you and praise you. Amen.